Hi there. Welcome to Next Creator Up. My name is Aaron Prudell. Each week I speak with an emerging or established creator in one of numerous fields to explore their heart, mind, work, and process. Wherever you are in your creative journey, you'll get a number of tips and insights to help you get past your blocks and bring your ideas to life. Hey creators, before we get started, just a quick note. You can receive updates for the show as well as special offers and exclusive content, including unaired lightning round Q&A by joining Creative Lightning. It's a free newsletter full of little inspirational nuggets that could help you bring your ideas to life. Learn more and sign up at nextcreatorup.com slash creativelightning. Alex Weber is a motivational comedian and entertainer. He is a five times TEDx speaker and is hosted for Discovery Channel, Under Armour, FX, and American Ninja Warrior. In this episode, we discuss Alex's world record, how he went from host of American Ninja Warrior to a contestant on the show, his process for keynote speaking versus comedy, and his thoughts on nerves and moving past doubts. Alex is a positive person who really lives his purpose to empower others to move past their fears and failures. I had a blast chatting with Alex, and I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. So without further ado, please welcome our next creator up, Alex Weber. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So for those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're currently working on? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm a motivational comedian, uh, which sometimes confuses people very understandably. Uh, And what that is, is kind of combining a few different areas of my background. I've done a lot in sports. Uh, I'm currently an American Ninja Warrior, which is something I'm so thankful for and it's bonkers and I'll definitely explain a lot about that. Uh, I've also been awarded U.S. Lacrosse Coach of the Year and I played in the World Championships of Lacrosse this summer. So that's our World Cup, um, which was a, a really cool experience. Uh, and then on the other side, I, I do stand-up comedy. Um, I'm a partner in a company called Don't Tell Comedy and we're the, uh, we run secret comedy shows and we've risen to be the largest live comedy producer in America, which is pretty cool and fun. Um, so the motivational comedy is kind of combining those worlds and in actuality, it's a lot of uh, speaking to different organizations, companies, sports teams, uh, universities about uh, leading ourselves past whatever challenges we're facing to get to where we want to go and using positivity and humor as a way to kind of disarm and make the challenges a little bit less uh, scary. Yeah, I love that. And you know, that's a, it's a really fun place to start too. Um, I, I thought we could focus on your work as a motivational com- uh, comedian at first. So I'm in LA, not too far from the iconic comedy store and Laugh Factory. Yeah. And if you go to a show at one of these spots, I wouldn't say you would hear much in the way of motivation. Short, uh, sort of the opposite, right? Like comedy is anarchy to a degree. So my first question is, what drives you to use comedy in this way? And where did you get the inspiration for your sets at first? Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, that's a great question. It's, uh, you know, it's, an, I guess I'll give two, two part answers. So my grad school was coaching high school lacrosse. Um, I, uh, a lot of my upbringing was lacrosse and I, my dream was to play in college and I went and I did that. Um, but I had highs and lows doing it. Um, and then I finished and I had kind of a listening to my heart my senior year at, at UPenn, um, which was, you know, it's an Ivy League finance. A lot of people go off and do Wall Street, which is, is great if that's for you. It wasn't for me. And 
senior fall, I just had like a moment listening to my, what I really wanted to do. And, um, Fast forward, moved to LA and was doing performing. And my side job was supposed to be coaching high school lacrosse. Um, but before long, it was the only thing I cared about. Uh, I really fell in love with coaching and uh, fell in love with the kids. And please, no one make that out of context or weird. Uh, but like, really fell in love with coaching the kids. And the style of how I was talking to them is now what I'm calling motivational comedy. But it was really just being very honest and real and uh, not putting things on a pedestal or being stuffy about them, but just being very honest. And you can have fun and make fun of things or joke around and still accomplish goals. And that actually being able to enjoy the process and being able to smile is not this like frosting on a cake but actually a really impactful way of reaching our goals. Um, so that was my, my grad school, I would say. And it was something where, you know, the chapter of coaching, it, it came to a natural conclusion where it felt right to move on. And uh, But since then, I've had this want to do it in a professional setting. And the last couple of years has, has been that, doing uh, motivational comedy. So... Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a really cool thing, and I I think to your uh, to your note, it's like if you it, it, a lot of it is settings. Like if you go on a Friday night or a Saturday night to a comedy club or a comedy show, you, you kind of want to just laugh <laughs> and have fun. And if there's a few takeaways that stick with you throughout your life or make you question something or change your perspective, that is awesome. But you know, most people don't walk into a comedy club with a two drink minimum with the intention of like, I'm going to reshape or develop or better myself in these windows. I'm going to kick back and have some jokes and a chicken wing and freaking a beer and laugh. Like that's kind of the, the setting for it. Um, so I do, I freaking love comedy for the sake of making people laugh, but it's, it's just felt right for me personally to kind of use comedy as an impactful tool of of these ways of bettering ourselves too without it being kind of stuffy. Right. Have you have you done your routine so to speak or you know some of your shows or bits at like a laugh factory or comedy store or do you just find that you have to find a different venue since it's really a different style? Yeah, it's such a good question. There's like as I'm progressing in it, it's like a personal challenge to keep doing to to have bits that I could do Saturday morning at a, a, you know, or like Saturday morning at a convention and be able to do it Saturday night at like a comedy show. So uh, there's more and more that I'm realizing can transfer back and forth, maybe with a couple things shifted around, but, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the comedy has to be a little cleaner, which is actually a good segue to a question I really wanted to ask you. Um, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld is a comedian who's known for being, you know, much cleaner jokes, so to speak. Um, and there's the famous Seinfeld joke about fear in public speaking. Are you familiar with that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where he references the study that, uh, uh, the number one fear is public speaking and number two is death. Uh, so that most people would, uh, rather be in the casket <laughs> than doing the eulogy. So good. So I, I think this is true for a lot of us. And uh, you, as someone who's a performer, you know, award-winning host, a comedian, keynote speaker, have you had to tackle this fear? Oh my gosh, yeah. 
so it's, it's so funny. You know, some people will be like, uh, do you ever get nervous before talking or performing? Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't think that ever changes. You know, like I, uh, I think my, you know, my, my work bank, when I look back, I'm like, I've done it now enough where uh, the nerves, we all battle nerves. Um, and sometimes our nerves are talking really rationally and that's when it's like scary, but sometimes our nerves are just being crazy. And uh, what's been good is the more as time gone, has gone on and I've done these more, my nerves are like talking more crazy. Like what if you're pants fall down and how are you going to recover? Like, all right, nerves. Like, I don't, I think I'll be all right. Like, you know, (laughs) like, uh, but I, I, anytime we care about something, you know, we're going to have nerves. So I, I totally do. I found that, uh, if I know what I'm going to say, I'm good. But if there's any time when I like, don't feel, uh, as prepared, which is, uh, you know, fortunately become less of a thing as I've learned that, um, yeah, I, I think like that's the most imposing thing is, and especially as I talk to people who are like newer in speaking or want to do it more or have expressed what you just said of like they'd rather be in the casket than talking at a funeral. It's if we know what we're going to say and we really feel confident or good about what we want to say, I think it removes so much of the other crap that we put on ourselves. Um, yeah, I think that's like the biggest tool I would offer is to just be really feel confident in what we feel like we need to say. And then it, it, it takes some of the other fears away. Right. So a lot of it's preparation. So it's not, and, and, and to your point, it's not something you necessarily overcome. It's something it sounds like you just become more comfortable with and preparation is part of that. Definitely. And I think nerves serve a great purpose. Like it's energy. And I think that if nerves are used for good, it's like one of those things like great power can be used for like good or evil. Uh, so I do think nerves like it's a, it'll wake you up. It'll make us alert and it'll get us rocking. So I think if we can use the nerves, it's a really powerful tool. It's just to not let them grab the steering wheel. Right. You know, I've seen uh, some of your performance and your hosting for American Ninja Warrior. And it seems like that's something you can't rehearse or prepare for, uh, and maybe I'm wrong and definitely let me know, but you can't rehearse and prepare for kind of the same way since it's off the cuffs and you don't really know, you know, what a contestant's going to, to say, is that your experience with it? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's totally dead on. I mean, it's something that I think is, uh, is kind of fun about it that, um, like I, I really do love that. And, but like, I also don't think, um, you know, like it's funny, like I've talked with friends and they've uh, asked me, you know, about hosting and all this stuff. But if you're ever having like a really engaging conversation with someone and you're interested and you're asking follow-up questions and um, making them feel comfortable, like that is hosting. Um, so like at the core of it, I just try to like actually care about uh, the person and what they're saying, which fortunately has been really easy, especially with Ninja Warrior. They're just fascinating folk. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's like hosting was one of those things where, you know, I had done acting and I'll do it every now and then, but it just, I never really liked it. Um, 
I feel like I kept trying to be something that I wasn't, which I guess that's that's probably the definition of acting, right? It's to like, now I'm a pirate in the 17th century or whatever it is. Uh, but like hosting was this, I didn't know that that was really a job. And I was like, it just felt really like, oh, I could just be who I am and talk to people about stuff that I like. Um, so yeah, I, it never really felt imposing. It kind of was was more exciting. Right. It, it, and it makes sense that you might like settle into the role as a host as American Ninja Warrior because you have the athletic background, you know, from lacrosse and then, of course, coaching it. So on on a, a level, you can certainly relate to uh, some of the physical struggle as well as the mental struggle that uh, the American Ninja Warriors are going through. Yeah, it's I mean, that whole world has been bonkers. Like it's uh, it. I, and I will say, like, American Ninja War has been such a, a gift. Um, it really has. Just because in my mind, you know, something that I struggled with was it felt like there was, like, entertainment. And then there was this hard wall between this other part of who I am, which is sports. And, like, I've been an athlete since playing five years old. And my dream was to play in college and then getting coach of the year. And uh, But I felt like entertainment you know, was this other world. And then Ninja Warrior came along and it like put my two worlds together in a really meaningful way. And it, you know, not to be uh, corny with it, but it, it made me feel whole. And um, it, it's just this gift where it hasn't stopped. Uh, you know, I hosted with it for two years. We won this award and we wrapped. And when we wrapped, it was also a kick in the butt of, time to move on to another chapter. And that was like taking a leap of faith of doing more motivational comedy. It really like, it had just been this thing I'd wanted to do, but when Ninja Warrior wrapped, I was like, this is the time to, to do it. And um, so I did it for the last year and two years now. And then as life would have it this fall, um, I was encouraged to apply to not host, but compete in American Ninja Warrior. So that was uh, this really just uh, tough to apply words to it, but a surreal, a cool, a learning, a fun experience. And two weeks ago, I competed uh, in season 11 of American Ninja Warrior. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's been um, a crazy road, uh, but a, a really like honest one um, where it's kept me honest as an athlete. It's kept me honest as a speaker, as a performer. Um, so super thankful for it. Right. But having competed now, if you were to have gone back and hosted, would that have changed anything for your approach? Perhaps, you know, the questions you asked, um, how, is, how would that have changed perhaps your, your performance, so to speak, as a host? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, I think it's one of those things where it's like, and I'm going to, kind of uh, offer a, a different answer with it as well because I got into a an internet debate and you know how uh, those spiral <laughs> you know how uh, wholesome internet debates can be uh, but what happened was I, I said that I believe sports are art and someone you know really took exception to that and kind of combated me on it which everyone can have their opinion and I, I really do believe sports are art and I think like you know, dance and ballet is probably a great example of something that has one ballet shoe in each camp, sports and art. Um, <clears throat> but I, I really 
believe that sports are art and, and in that it's like appreciation. And once we start, you know, like I enjoy watching football. I enjoy seeing the athletic accomplishments, but what I really love about football is once you like, they make it into a soap opera. It is such a like captivating soap opera of once you fall in love with the storylines. So all that is to say like with Ninja Warrior, when I first approached it, I simply surface level was just astonished by the feats that people either succeed or fail at. But it's like once you learn more about it, it's movement art. It's these people who are controlling and applying their body and really creative. It's so creative uh, what they're doing. So I, I think all that is to say is like now if I were to go back or host or talk with people about it, it's just appreciating how people like use their body, like rather than just grabbing something that's like twisting their hips and flow and momentum and engaging different parts of their shoulders. So it's, you know, operating at efficiency and it's, it's really complex. Um, yeah. So I, I think a, just a greater appreciation of what these athletes are doing and then also being able to just take a step back and be like, well, that was crazy. I don't know how the heck they did that. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it sounds like it's a definition too, you know, uh, everyone has their own definition perhaps of what art means to them, but I certainly uh, agree that, um, when you reach these high levels of performance, there is certainly an art to it and a lot of thought that goes into it. Um, and, and creativity and art and athletics have often actually been compared, right? From and, and primarily in a sense of preparation and practice, right? Flexing that creative muscle, so to speak. Yeah. And you're uniquely qualified to talk about this because you're both a creator as a comedian and, of course, a, a speaker, but also a U.S., you know, lacrosse coach of the year. So I'm curious what other parallels you find in your creative work and athletics. Oh, that's such a good, such a good question. And it really is uh, preparation. You know, it's, uh, oh, you know, I'm thinking like as a coach and as a, as a player, it's, you know, there's like game day, which is very much like comedy performing, you know, one gift yet again from American Ninja Warrior was um, perspective. And what I'll say is like following American Ninja Warrior, I had this big talk to like a big organization and a lot of people and all that stuff. And I was nervous about both of them. I was competing on, uh, you know, one day that week. And then a couple days later, I was giving this talk and I was nervous because I still get nerves about both of them. I care about it. I want to do well. What was uh, illuminating about doing American Ninja Warrior, one of the many things, was like, I trained so hard, I was very prepared, but what is unique about that sport is you do not know what you are going to go up against until you step up. So you don't know what the obstacles are, you've never been on them, you don't know how they're going to feel, you don't know how your body is going to move on them, you don't know the correct way to succeed past them until you do it, which is very unique. Um, similarly, in a lot of sports, you have direct opposition, meaning if you're playing like basketball or soccer or whatever sport you like, there is an opponent who can directly impede your success. They know that you love kicking a soccer ball with your right foot. They can play you on that defensive side and make sure you have to go to the left side of the field. So 
what was eye-opening to me and a gift of American Ninja Warrior was that I made a vow after competing that I will never allow myself again to be nervous for something where I can simply prepare and perform. So Ninja Warrior, I prepared, I prepared, I prepared, but when it came time to perform, to do the action, I had so much that was outside of my control. The talk that I was giving three days later, yes, it was an hour. Yes, there was like expectations and I cared about it a lot, but I could just prepare, show up and do my preparation. No one was on the stage with me blocking the mic or like when I got into a rhythm shoving me. Uh, so I could quite literally prepare in my hotel and the, and the whatever, do it in the shower and then the next day show up and do it on stage and there might've been less water, but I could do my preparation. So that was a really great gift of perspective in that if there's things in our life where we can control a lot of the variables, preparation cures nerves. Um, and if we can prepare, it'll, it'll really silence all the other crap that's thrown our way. Gotcha. Uh, so am I to understand that you took an hour-long shower, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hot water ran out several times. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, because you coach as well, um, and, and really that's, to a degree, that's what you're doing when you're giving a, a, a speech or a presentation like such. Uh, you're, you're, you know, have you, what, are, what are some effective strategies that you found for inspiring peak performance uh, for maybe both yourself and uh, team? Yeah, it's such a good question. It's the biggest thing I've learned from coaching and then now speaking with people and running companies and being a performer myself, whether as an athlete or an entertainer, is why we're there. Like, I, gosh, I just, I think there's nothing more powerful than when someone wants something. And it is, even when you look through history, like, what people have done when they really want to do something is there's no stopping people, whether it's for good or for bad or for setting up Burning Man in the desert. Like it is incredible what people can do uh, when they really want to do something. So I think what is step one is identifying what someone wants to do and why they want to do it. You know, I think I was successful as a coach because I talked to the person under the helmet. And, you know, I think of a few players that I coached where, you know, for me growing up, lacrosse was everything and it meant everything, but that's not everybody. And I think why I was successful with some people is finding out, oh, okay, Tommy loves, he's a debate, he's on the debate team and he's here because he just wants this to add a good element to his life. He wants to have good experiences with friends, probably put it on his college, uh, his resume for college and, and, and have some fun doing something active. And it, and that's completely fine. I think that once we uh, honestly identify what matters to us, really brutally honestly, and then find out why it's important to us, then we can figure out how to make that a reality. Um, but it's really taking that inventory of what do I want to do and why do I want to do it um, as the first really impactful step. Right. Is this is this really a core of what uh, one of your keynotes, bringing your best self forward, is about? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because you know, I, I picture like whatever we want to do. There's this thing guarding it, and it bats us away. And whether you want to call that fear 
uh, or failures or doubts or nerves or practicality, it keeps batting us away. And if we don't really want to keep going, we're not. But if we really care about the thing, it does not matter how many times we get batted away. We're going to be relentless with it and we're going to make it through. So I think just having that really powerful want is critical. And the other part of it is I'm fascinated by how different people's wants are. Like it's, and that's one thing I love about sports or, you know, you look at like a musical artist and take a sport, for example, take fencing. Someone could win a fencing tournament. I've never cared about fencing. I've never thought about fencing, but until this moment, but this person, when they won that competition or lost that competition, you'll look at them and they're in tears. We've all seen an athlete at the end of a competition in tears. And those tears are either joy or it's heartbreak. And what I find so fascinating about people wanting something is how personalized it is because I'm not crying about that fencing match. You're not crying about that fencing match. But that is that person's world. And that exists for us when we love someone. You know, I told a story in one of the TEDx talks I gave about how my high school girlfriend and I broke up and I was hurt. I was uh, in the fetal position, curled up, crying on my bathroom floor. Uh, and it's always the bathroom because uh, I was so beat up about our breakup. And no one else was crying about that because why would they? They didn't care. But for me, it was everything. And so I think just being honest about how what we care about, what matters to us, what we want to do is one of one. It's just ours. It's not for other people. And just being honest about that and really specific with it, it's freeing, it's motivating, and it's focusing too. Yeah. I think what we're passionate about is and care deeply about is certainly that North Star. Um, for me personally, and I think for a lot of people, when you care that deeply about something, that's also when it's the most difficult, I think, to to do it or at least start it maybe. Maybe once you get into it, it's easier to persevere because you care about it. But there's that that point. You know, you're, in your TEDx talk, you talked about the importance of sucking. And, <laughs> and it was something that I, I you know, from, from, the, from the energy I felt from your talk, something you really, you know, cared about. And I think one of the biggest reasons we're afraid to let ourselves suck is that we worry people will judge us based on our starting point, as opposed to recognizing this is just part of the process of working toward our potential. So, and I know we touched a little bit on this, but perhaps this is really self-serving for me because I really care about this podcast. And, uh, <laughs> but what's helped you push past the fear of judgment and allow yourself to, you know, publicly suck? Such a great question. Uh, so what has uh, allowed me to be okay publicly sucking? Um, sucking a lot. Uh, that's the, and that's like yet another gift of American Ninja Warrior is that it was, so I came from being a really high level athlete. I was an all American. I played D1 in the Ivy league. I was us lacrosse coach of the year. So I had all these really high level athletic accomplishments. And in my own eyes, I was an expert athlete. And then it was immediately being thrown into this sport where I sucked so much. 
and was such a beginner at it and not only had to fail repeatedly, but had to fail in front of a lot of people in a very clear, it wasn't like I ran a 40 yard dash and it was like, oh, what was the time? No, it's you fail, you fly off of a thing that's two stories high and you splash in the water and you're wet for the next half hour and everyone's looking at you. And it was videoed and posted online and I've looked it up and over a million people have watched me fail at things. <laughs> so it's like, it was such, it, there was no chance of dipping my toe in the water with it. It was being shoved into the deepest of ends of just failing repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. But the gift of it was that I got over it. I got over the, of caring about failing because there's a lot of social implications too. And I think for every person, we have our own measuring stick of why it is painful. For some of us, it's painful because other people are looking at us and they're judging us. For some of us, it's painful because we know we could do better and we're not. For some of us, it's painful because it's actually painful. The thing that we're trying to get better at hurts us emotionally or physically or mentally. And I think that sometimes those thresholds of the pain can be so impactful for us that it's it's an easier route to simply stop doing it. Um, but I think that the more that we build up our tolerance to those painful moments, the more freeing it is because we learn that they're, they're not real. Um, and, and there's something that we can totally progress past. And, and here's the other thing is I have to be honest with it because I talk about overcoming failures and I say that failure ends and I talk about how, you know, other people's judgment and all this stuff. I still feel it. I feel it all the time. And that's part of the reason I love sports is I was training with American Ninja Warriors the other day and there was this crazy thing that they set up and they're like, Alex, it's your time to do it. And there's 10 people looking at me and they all did well. And I had the fear of social judgment. I had the fear of, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to do. I had the fear of this is probably going to hurt a bit. Um, so I don't believe that those fears ever end and I don't believe that failures ever end. But what I do believe is that our ability to move past them grows and that's where there's freedom. That's where there's a lot of improvement and that's where there's really growth in reaching whatever goals we have. Yeah, I love that. And halfway through your talk, you said, uh, doubt is a jerk face. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that because after talking with you uh, now, I really see what you were referring to when using, you know, comedy, those little comedic moments to, you know, punctuate or bring up something that is paralyzing for a lot of people. So, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind staying on this topic a little bit longer, but tell me, tell me about doubt, why it's a jerk face. <laughs> doubt is a jerk face because it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't have our best interest at heart. And I say that in the talk of doubt just wants to see the result. And I think that that is 100% true. Doubt is holding us to a perfect outcome and anything short of us beginning 
and immediately reaching success at an A plus 100% success rate is crushing. It doesn't support us in doing what we really want to do. And it's often an irrational voice. It's often our voice of insecurity and playing out a worst case scenario. And I joke around about, and in that talk as well, about, you know, just moving doubt aside. It, it, it's, it's always going to be there. I feel it all the time. I played in a lacrosse game the other day after not playing in a while. I played in the world championships of lacrosse. I was the second leading scorer in the world. And I'm about to do this thing that I'm very good at. And I'm about to step on the field. And all these doubts, insecurities, fears, pressures, concerns are racing through my head. I'm a freaking expert at this. I am very, very good. And I am hitting, I'm being hit by just a tsunami of doubt and fear and worry. So I don't think that ever ends, but I do think our ability to acknowledge that, wow, okay, all those thoughts just raced through my head, but I'm going to just let them keep racing. Um, that tsunami passed through, but I'm going to let that tsunami keep going. I'm not going to like latch on and grab a boogie board and try to ride this wave of doubt and fear and craziness. I'm just going to let that wave go, and then I'm going to touch in and be grounded with, with me here and have faith in myself, focus on what I can control, and fully commit to doing that. And I don't think it has to be more complex than that. It's focusing on what's in our control, it's believing in ourselves, and then taking positive action to do it. Absolutely. So I, I want to shift gears just a little bit because I want to I want, I uncover a little bit about your creative process. So what are the differences and similarities to creating, say, a keynote speech versus a comedy routine? Uh, and, and what would your creative process be like for each? Yeah, it's such a it's such a good question, and it's it's really fun to to talk about this, which is such a testament to your podcast. Of like, it's really a cool thing to actually talk about uh, that the creative process, and you know, because at a macro level. They're, they're similar, right? It's talking. It's talking often into a microphone with people listening. So, you know, we're not talking about someone's a slam poet and someone's a freeform painter. Uh, like, so, but I appreciate the question because there is, uh, there are differences. You know, comedy really is, and I don't want to put it into this, you know, like stats or that kind of thing, but your impact is to make people laugh. That is the the central goal. And I think there's really gifted performers who can off, also offer social commentary or make you rethink things. Um, and those are, that's phenomenal. But at its core, when people walk into a comedy experience, they want to laugh and they want to laugh a lot. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, when I'm giving a talk or a keynote to companies or, or a college or things like that, there usually is a central focus that needs to be addressed. There's an issue that's facing them, whether that's how to lead or establish a positive culture or how to embrace failure and achieve the goals that they have. So there really is a need that needs to be satisfied, that needs to be solved. And I take a moment before any talk I'm doing and I try to think about 
the people walking in that door, like really, like I understand like on a stat sheet, okay, here's a demo and this is the age and this is what they work or this is their focuses. But like really like thinking about Phil or Diane who's walking in and like, what was Diane's day like, you know, like, and what is her week like and what the hell does she really need to hear? This is one hour and my hope is that I can kind of nudge people because we all have our lives and I have my life and you have your life and our lives, we're so close to it. It's our life and we're in it every second of every day. And sometimes the greatest gift is if someone can just nudge us a little or maybe even pick up our head a little bit to question something or reevaluate something or maybe make a little bit slightly different of a choice. So being in a position to make that impact is I'm really honored and I don't take it lightly at all. Um, so I would say in giving a talk, it's like asking what the hell can I do for these people in this moment that I have with them? Like really, what can I offer them? And then once that's set, then it gets a little fun because it's like, all right, well, how can we do this? And some of that is maybe offering case studies or some stats, but a lot of other things, you know, I have a fun story where I talk about leadership. And if, if we're leaders, we're leaders in all aspects of our lives. And a fun story that I tell is a time when my dad was sick and I had to lead him onto this really fun cruise on vacation. And the story ends with him becoming a pirate. And it's, it's just a really fun story. Um, but the backbone of it is positive leadership. Um, yeah. So I don't know how, uh, that might've been a rambling response, but I, I think it's like the more clear and doing, you know, last year I did five TEDx talks and what's so great about them. And also so challenging is like some of these were nine minutes. So it's like, there was bits that I'd wanted to do where I was like, I just don't have time. Uh, so it really like trimmed the fat a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because in comedy you have the, you know, setup and then the punchline. And then it sounds like for your keynotes, it's really the setup then the nudge, right? Like the the nudge is the punchline yeah. for for your your keynote. And your setup is probably more of a story so that you can wrap it um you know, the wrapping paper is something personal that people can see themselves in. That's, that's exactly it. It's, you know, we all need to have an entry point, uh, a relatability point or else why do we care? You know? And I, I feel that, I mean, I scroll through videos on Instagram and we all scroll through Netflix, a lot of scrolling these days. So we need that entry point of how does this relate to me? We're all busy. We all have a lot going on. How can I use this in my life? Mm. I really like this notion of nudging, like you said, actually. Uh, I, I find, I listen obviously to a lot of podcasts. You kind of have to if you're going to decide to do one. Uh, sure. <laughs> and uh, I imagine you've uh, listened to, you know, hundreds of keynotes yourself. And obviously, uh, starting with comedy, you've been in plenty of clubs listening to a lot of different bits and stand up comedians. As far as the positive mindset, you have such a positive mindset and can-do attitude. Is this mindset really second nature for you, or is this something where you kind of 
nudge yourself and you know on a daily basis you consume the type of you know content or speak to the sort of uh, with the sort of people that really each day you're nudging yourself forward yeah i you know it's funny because i've gotten the question uh or people have reached out and noted that i'm i'm really positive which i am um but people have asked like am i positive all the time and i'm not um I'm not like I have down moments. I have negative moments. I have moments of questioning. Um, but I really do think ultimately it's, it's a choice, uh, of what route we want to take, you know? And, uh, so when you say nudging, uh, it's, it really is that. And I'll, I try to nudge myself, um, that if I'm falling into a negative moment, to just listen, we can feel our feelings. So like we're blue. I I will I will rock emo music with the best of them. Uh, so like I think there's totally times where if we're having a down day, freaking have a down day. You know, break out some ice cream, play some bone of air, and just like have a down moment. But when we get to the end of the ice cream or the song ends, we really do have a choice um, if we want to stay in that negative place or if we want to chip our way out of it and choose positivity. And, you know, I, a lot of my background, I, I love my dad so much and he has so many wonderful qualities, but a lot of my upbringing, he tended to take the negative route and play out worst case scenarios and, and come from a negative place. And I think my defense mechanism to that was as I got older, I would be immediately positive. Uh, and I, I, I think even to a fault where if some things were bad, I was like, no, it's going to be great. And it's like, well, maybe it's not. Maybe this is just a tough thing. Um, but I think now I've kind of found a balance where we can note and we can feel that things are negative or we can be aware that they're imposing or daunting or crappy but still choose positivity as our approach to moving forward. I find that very interesting in that one of your other keynotes, you shared advice that you'd wish you heard when you were younger. Uh, huh. Perhaps this is in response or somehow colored from what you just said in regards to your, your father, but can you tell us you know, one of those pieces of advice and also what the most useful advice someone else has given you? Oof. So good, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, one thing that I wish uh, I could continually offer is, is just to not fear asking ourselves, is this really what I want to do? Is this really who I want to be? It's a scary question. It's an intense question. But the more that we keep asking it, I think that the more that we look around at our life, more of our life, we're going to start saying, yes, yes, this is where I want to be. Yes, this is what I want to be doing. It's who I want to be around. It's who I want to be. And when things come back, no, we can look at them and we can ask, why? Why is this not for me? And is it really not for me? Or maybe I need to just make some changes and it can be for me. But to not be scared of that question, because for a lot of my life, I was scared to ask that question. Who do I want to be? What do I really want to do? 
because I was fearful that the answer might be so daunting or so unrealistic that I could never do it. And I think one of the greatest gifts is like, yeah, you can do it. Like, yes, you can. If it's want to move to a place or do something new or show up in life a little differently as who we are, um, it's doable. And yes, there's going to be tough moments and failures and negative moments and doubt. Those are always going to be there, but it is doable. Um, so I would say that is, is one thing is just to not be scared of asking the question, who do I want to be and what do I want to do? Mm. Uh, that's, that is one of them. Um, huh. Let's see some other great advice that I've got. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a few that are coming to mind. Um, my mom has a great one. If you're going to do it, do it. <laughs> Which the funny thing about that is it was in relation to, I remember uh, we went to the grocery store. My mom is a nutritionist. She's a personal trainer, a Pilates instructor. So health is her world. And I was like, I wanted to get uh, cookies. And I was in high school and I was serious about sports. And so I went and I got some like just some train wreck of a cookie. Like it was, it was supposed to be a health cookie, but it was, it was just not good. It was like cardboard and, and it wasn't even that healthy and it wasn't really even a cookie. It was just in this like identity crisis of what it was. And we got it home. My mom was like, what are you doing? If you're going to do it, do it. And she like gave me a proper cookie. And so it was just funny. And it stuck with me because here she's like a health expert, but she's basically saying like, whatever it is you want to do in life, do it. Don't dip your toe in the water. If you want to do something, do it and uh, and enjoy life. My mom is also just like such a simple pleasures person. And that is like, that's a gift. As the more I go in life, like, you know, and I think people listening to your podcast, we're aspirational folk. We're creative po- folk. We want to create, right? And creation takes time invariably there's going to be tough moments because we're creating things. There's going to be tough moments. And what I'm learning more and more is just to enjoy the experience because if all we're caring about is getting to that mountain peak, we're going to get there. But then we're going to get there and we're going to look and there's a bigger mountain. And if we're not enjoying the climb and we're not enjoying getting to that peak, it's it's going to feel empty. And I think I've had that eye-opening experience over the last couple of years of, of just changing and enjoying the experience of the climb, enjoying putting the effort in, enjoying, you know, like doing American Ninja Warrior. I, I kept nudging myself to just like enjoy that I'm training with people at 10 PM on a Thursday night and I'm sweating and I'm exhausted but to enjoy those moments rather than just trying to like endure them or grit through them um, because this is life and, and we got we to gotta enjoy these moments or else there is a finish line that gets 100% of people. And if we keep trying to get through everything, we're going to get to that finish line without really enjoying our time here. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to have a cheat day, enjoy the cookie. Yes. Yes. That is it, man. Get double fudge chunk. Have a day. (laughs) 
so I want to shift gears because uh, if I didn't ask this question, I would just uh, I would feel like such a missed opportunity uh, having you here, Alex. Um, I know you hold the world record for longest amount of time live video chatting, and this seems like uh, such a 21st century record to have. Um, yeah. What inspired you to do this? What was it like for you? And what did you learn from your 14 days of nonstop connection? Oh my gosh, such a good question. All right, so that started with uh, my one of my best friends, Rob Moore, is a comedian. He was based in Chicago. And we were hanging out with another one of my friends, Ilya Polikov, who he had said that he video chats with his best friend every day in London. And we were like, wow, that's a really high degree of dependency. Uh, also, that's incredible that you actually do that. So then as, I mean, best friends do, we just started daring each other of like, I bet you couldn't last two days video chatting. I bet you couldn't last a week. And then we Googled the world record for video chats. And it turned out that there was two Australian teenagers who had video chatted for 10 days. So we were like, all right, we got to beat these Aussie teens. Like we got to beat them. And they had like left a, a computer up, but they'd gone about their life and they left it and came back. So we, I'm not a techie dude. Like I'm not. And we got each of us, he was in Chicago. I was in LA. We got uh, iPhones. We each had two phones, wireless hotspots, battery packs. I was a hot mess leaving my place to go anywhere. And we video chatted 24 hours a day for 14 days straight. And we could sleep, but both cameras had to be on and watching us. We could go to the bathroom. We could do showers. We had waterproof cases. He took me to a Chicago Bears game. I took him to the Santa Monica Pier. We did a two-man improv show where I had him on a tripod and we did an improv comedy set for a crowd. Uh, so it was... It was bananas. Uh, it was a terrific experience that I would absolutely never do again. Uh, and to answer your questions, the takeaways, one was, uh, gosh, it sounds cliche, but to be just present. And I remember after we ended, uh, I hit end on all the phones and I just left everything like left my technology and I just walked to the beach and just drifted. I just drifted just like as a person rather than this cyborg that I had been for two weeks nonstop. I mean, I didn't go anywhere with that. I felt like I had like a little baby. I had to make sure it had its like milk, it's like energy and it's wireless, you know, whatever. So when it ended, I just shoved all the tech in my room and just went as like a human person uh, sans technology. So, uh, I think taking tech breaks is a great thing. Um, and then just to be present, the funniest thing about it was I was always in these really social settings. Um, but I would joke that I was never really with anyone that I was with because at the end of the night I was going home with my buddy Rob on the phone. So even if I was physically with you and we were at a cafe, whatever, I was really with my buddy through this technological portal. Um, it was crazy. I remember at the end of it, at the end of the two weeks, we hit end. And the only way to put it is it felt like this huge garage door came like crashing down and a portal to another world just closed. 
because for two weeks I had, you know, my screen was into his room in Chicago and that house and Chicago for literally every minute of two weeks long. And then on a dime, this garage door closed and that world ended. And I like picked up my head and I was like, oh, all right, there's a, there's another world here that I am physically in. Too funny. I, I, with your athletic background, I'd imagine there's a, a healthy dose of competition uh, for your life. So what would you say to someone who decided they wanted to go for 15 days? Oh my gosh. I wish you the best. <laughs> uh, I Listen, if you want to go for it, give me your address and I will send you a care package um, of just, it'll be a support blanket and cookies. Uh, my advice as a friend is don't do it. Uh, but if you, if you do want to take on the record, I wish you well and call me on day nine because day nine was when I, I just, I'll never forget this moment. I remember thinking, wow, I should feel like we're almost done. I only have five more days, but this, I am so done and I am feeling every second of every minute. Um, so in short, I wish you well and let me know and I'll send you a care package. <laughs> I, I feel like I just had a thought that came to mind. So I almost want to get philosophical with this. But have you seen the Truman Show? Yes, yeah. yes. What do you think it would have been like if Truman for the entire time knew that he was being filmed? Because that's essentially what it was for you, right? Like that part of what makes this difficult is the fact that you know people are watching at all times, you know, you, you, <laughs> you have to take that into consideration. Is, is that, was that your experience of it? Yeah. You know, it was crazy. It was like the first day, um, I lost my voice. I lost my voice because me and my buddy felt like we had to continually share our funniest stories nonstop. So anytime there was a down moment, he and I were both on and we're both comedians and we were both doing bits and all this stuff that was not sustainable. Um, but what we quickly learned was people didn't want that people just, and what was really cool about it is we'd get all these messages that people were at home doing work or doing laundry or hanging out. And they just had me and Rob hanging out with them. And like, even if me and Rob had quiet, it, it was just, uh, companionship and being in it together. And it never bothered me that people were watching. It probably should have bothered me more. I'm a pretty open person. It really didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't really care about that, um, but like, I was very aware that like, when I woke up in the morning, like, yeah, I probably wasn't my most flattering self. But you know, you kind of stopped caring about that at like day two. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think everyone has such a, a a zest now for the real. You know, it's a it's a unique type of performance because you really have to be yourself you can't you can't keep an act going that long that's totally it and i think like you nailed it it's like you know social media is a highlight reel and i think we are as humans we want to just be able to connect and not to necessarily always see the a plus 10 of 10 moments but to just realize that we're human and we're all on our own journey with it. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was impossible to try to like you know put on anything besides just being ourselves because yeah, fourteen days was 
That was a long time. <laughs> that's that's epic. Uh, you almost should challenge an American Ninja Warrior to do something similar. Oh see if God. see if they can do it. They would accept it. <laughs> uh, they one hundred percent would. Wow. <laughs> So this is a, and your answer may be similar to uh, what we've already said, but it is a question that we we try to ask everyone on the show. And once again, you create in uh, a multitude of fields here, um, and especially when we consider even athletics as a form of creation, like we we talked about. But what's the most important piece of advice you could offer to someone who wanted to be the next creator up in your field and pick one of the many, if you would like? Wow. So the advice of, you know, whatever it is that they want to do, how to take that first step and and, and do it. Yeah. I mean, if someone wanted to be a comedian or a motivational comedian, a keynote speaker, uh, or uh, the next American Ninja Warrior, um, what, what would be what would be the quintessential advice you you could offer them? I think the biggest piece of advice I would say is is to start doing it, you know, and I know I mentioned that in that talk. Um, but why that's so critical is because I can only speak for my personal journey, and in my personal journey, uh, if I want to do something, the more time that exists between my want and me doing it, the more time that I stand on the sideline and I look at it in awe and I put it on a pedestal and I think of just like, gosh, that would be great, but how this and what about this and I don't know about this. It just makes it uh, insurmountable and also starts to just like crush our spirit a little bit. But if we start, it's just such an equalizer. Yes, we will come in and maybe we are absolutely dog trash at it. But like, that's another blessing of American Ninja Warrior is I learned that literally everything is learnable. Like whatever, you know, if there's something you want to do, if you're telling me like, I want to be a beatboxer, but you can't make one sound with your, you can't whistle. I would still say you can be a beatboxer. It's just going to take some time of sucking at it and doing it. But I think that once we realize that Literally, we can do anything as long as we realize that we're going to have to learn and grow at it. It's so freeing. And (sighs) right now, what's going through my head is to an earlier point where I'm thinking if someone's listening to this podcast and thinking about something that they want to do, what can I offer them right now as Alex? How can I serve them in this moment? You're doing your laundry or you're driving to work and you're thinking, I've always wanted to do this. Say it, say it aloud. I want to do this and then figure out a step one, figure out a way to start and go in with the expectation of as long as I show up, I have nailed it. Separate from any result, separate from any expectation and simply set the goal that I'm going to show up and I'm going to do this and that is such a win. And then we'll get all the info of how it actually went and what we can do better, but whatever it is you want to do, freaking start doing it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I really love what you said as well, that everything is learnable. I think that that's such an important uh, point. And because you're going to, you're going to encounter something new with each step that you take, right? We all know this, but to know that, to just internally know that everything is learnable. I mean, I actually speak for, speak to that for a second, because you, 
you have to come up and, and learn something new all the time, right? You have information, new information coming at you, new new bits that you need to learn and incorporate, and and you're challenging yourself. You're you're going out into the unknown each time. Uh, how do you how do you measure your your learning, or how do you keep yourself, you know? focused on on that little step and just know is it just something that you consciously know i can learn it and then you go and you 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 seek out someone's advice on what to do or you look it up i speak to speak to everything is learnable and how you how you engage with that yeah well, well so to that point you know like i my job is to talk and i am adamant that i Never, ever, ever want to be someone who talks the talk and doesn't do the walk. Um, so part of keeping me honest is doing American Ninja Warrior and then also finding other ways where I can do something that I've always wanted to do and have to endure the frustration, failure, sucking to get better. So like one of those is learning piano. I've always wanted to learn piano and I'm sick of saying I've always wanted to do blank. And we all have that. We all have that thing of I've always wanted to do and insert here. Another one is to do a handstand and a backflip. I've always wanted to do it and I'm sick of saying I've always wanted to do it. So one of those, and to your point, is figuring out a way to start. So now bless it, bless the YouTube and Instagram and all this. There are ways of we can shoot it out into the interwebs and someone will have a video 10 days to do in a handstand or here's the chords for a piano. But I'm also going to be real and say that for me, sometimes I need the accountability and support of doing it with other people. So I think it's such a blessing of life to team up with people, to join people on the journey. Um, so I always go and train with a group of American Ninja Warriors, which is the best it's the best because it's support, it's accountability, and they push us to do things. And yeah, I'm taking piano lessons because, uh, you know, there's, a, there's another world where I could just sit my butt down and look up a YouTube video and just do it on my own. And I do do that, but that's not where I'm at. I need the accountability and the support. So I would say whatever it is that uh, someone wants to do, figure out a step one and and just just start doing it. If it's you know, I, I had joked around with someone. If it's that you want to do painting, figure out if there's a painting group in your hometown, or if there's a Facebook group that you could join where you each post every week a, a painting of a photo or you know a painting that you've done. Um, whatever it is for you, if it's learning how to invest, if it's becoming a DJ or decoding Bitcoin, like whatever your I've always wanted to do blank is, just take a positive action. No step is too small. Just take that first baby step and and it'll be opening and freeing and and really cultivating of, of getting to where we want to go. Absolutely. Uh, so one of our big goals, Alex, is to share good creative work. So with this in mind, what is something that you feel is very shareworthy? It could be anything. It could be a film, an app, an album, song, some cool tool or product, um, something that uh, 
perhaps even inspired you. Uh, something come to mind that's very shareworthy for you? Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, <clears throat> a few. Um, I will say uh, one of them, I'm, uh, I'm reading a book right now called The Big Leap which uh, I really enjoy a lot. And uh, it's basically about pushing past some kind of limitation beliefs that we put on ourselves. Um, so we all kind of realize a cap that we have. And, and I think what's a great thing about that is just realizing what limitations we're putting and, and moving past it. And another one that I'll say that I've like just started doing is I live in Venice. I'm from New York, but like I'm totally, the more I'm in Venice, I'm becoming, and Venice, California is kind of like a hippie-ish area. So I firmly have like one foot in type A New York and then one foot in like energy flow and vibes and let my soul hug your soul. Like I have one foot in both camps. But one thing that's like I used to think was out there and now I'm doing it every day is just setting an intention, which like when you boil down and you take off the terminology, it's literally just setting, saying like, oh, I want to be this person and I want to do this. It's a, it's a great focus upper. So I would say, again, if there are things that we want to do in our lives, if we want to show up in life a little differently, if we want to do something different or be around different people, say it aloud and write that down and then say it every day. Um, and uh, it's a great reminder to ourselves on days when we're down or days when we feel scattered of like, oh, right. Nope. This is my focus point. This is the destination and my target. And now I can lead my life going towards where the hell I want to go. Hey, everybody. Before we get into our lightning round, just a quick announcement. Did you know that we record additional lightning round questions with every guest who comes on the show? It's unaired and exclusive for our Creative Lightning newsletter subscribers. These quick Q&As were designed to elicit actionable insights to help spark your imagination and propel you beyond your creative blocks. We uncover favorite resources and books and tackle issues relevant to all creators such as how do you stay motivated when it's hard? How do you generate your best ideas? How do you know when an idea is the right idea? What do you do when you are creatively blocked? To get our guests' answers to these questions and more, join the free email list at nextcreatorup.com slash creativelightning. And now, on with the lightning round. What's the most important part of your creative routine? Saying it aloud. Uh, we joked about the shower, that the shower's a great place. Um, saying it, doing it, uh, voicing it. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because I've been recording this the entire time in the shower, Alex. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> How do you think you differ from other creative people in your line of work? Um, I'm very jockey. Uh, I think I think straddling that line of like I'm super artsy and I love creative, and then I also love like sports and just getting getting gritty in that. So uh, yeah, I think I think being a a jockey artsy person. How do you think one can expand one's creative mind and abilities? Do things you didn't think you could do. Love it. How do you know when an idea is the right idea? It flows. It's not a force. It's just, it's just going. 
what is the most helpful thing you've learned or useful skill you've developed in your career? This goes to American Ninja Warrior. Um, you can do anything. Like you can freaking do anything. Just understand that you're going to fail and then you're going to stop failing. What's something you do to ignite your creativity or get into a creative zone? Getting moving. I said I was a jockey person, but I think 90% of why I work out a lot is for the mental and emotional benefits. So get a sweat, get moving, uh, get the juices rocking. Does it matter to you uh, if it's cardio or if it's lifting? Nah. <laughs> Keep going. When a uh, few fill in the blank questions. Great. When I'm feeling unmotivated, it helps me too. Uh, listen to some moody music and then start moving around. Is there a moody music that you have on repeat? <laughs> uh, yeah. What the heck is his name? I want to Beowulf. Beowulf is, uh, he like dubs like cartoons that we've all recognized over like really melodic beats. It just gets me, man. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to check that out. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I get my best ideas when? I'm not on the damn phone <laughs> and I'm just being a person. It's the truth. <laughs> so for 14 days, basically, when you were breaking a record, you just had no ideas coming. No ideas. I was a, I was a vegetable. <laughs> when I'm hard on myself about my work, I remind myself. Everything's a process and... Baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. Lay down bricks and then take a step back, and that's a damn cool house. And we may have touched on this before, but it's just how I like to, to wrap up the lightning round. Has anyone ever given you any words of inspiration that you would like to pass along to others? Yeah, there's so many. That's why I'm like, um, yes. There is my uh, freshman biology teacher had these signs that he would put up in his office or the classroom every week and it would change. And at the end he, of our freshman year, he retired and he gave me one. And the one that he gave me was give the game the best you have and the best will come back to you. And at the time, the game was very literally lacrosse. That was my everything. And as I've moved and, and, and gone older and done different experiences, the game is whatever the heck we value in life. And what I love about it is it starts with give. And I really think that is the answer is to give more and ask less. And the more that we give to what we value and we love, it will come back and it may look different than how we thought, but it so much will come back to us if we just give everything we have to what we love. I love that. And with that, I want to, and I want to thank you for giving us your time, uh, your energy, certainly your passion um, today for, for the show, Alex. I really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. I, I love what you're doing with this podcast. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be a part and it's exciting that you're motivating people in the, in the creative world. That's, that's the hope. Uh, nudge, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, can you let everyone know where they should best get in contact uh, with you? Where, where should they go find you around the web? 
Yeah. So uh, on all the different socials, I'm at I'm Alex Weber. So uh, I'm and then Alex Weber, one being Weber. And uh, I post a lot of videos. And then also, if you ever want me to come to your organization or I do coachings with people and all that good stuff, um, I would love to just hear what's going on in your lives, too. Uh, Alex, once again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, the best way to support us is by leaving a review on iTunes. This helps us reach a wider audience, which enables us to attract more interesting and inspiring guests for future episodes. And if you want to learn more about today's guests and to find the links and resources we discussed, check out our show notes at nextcreatorup.com and click on the link for this episode.